Hello, and welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 250. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. And yes, nice big episode 250. We're celebrating 250. We're celebrating my favorite Star Trek movie. Yippee, here we go. Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Release date, June 1st, 1984. Directed by Leonard Nimoy. Produced by Harv Bennett. Written by Harv Bennett. Music composed by James Horner. Cast includes William Shatner as James T. Kirk. DeForest Kelly as Leonard McCoy. James Doohan as Montgomery Scott. George Takei as Hikaru Sulu. Walter Koenig as Pavel Chekhov. Nichelle Nichols as Uhura. Judith Anderson as Talar. Robin Curtis as Savick. Christopher Lloyd as Krug. Mark Leonard as Sarek. And Merritt Buckirk as David Marcus. The Enterprise returns to Earth following a battle with Khan, who tried to destroy the Enterprise by detonating an experimental terraforming device known as Genesis. The casualties of the flight include Spock, whose casket was launched into space and eventually landed on the planet created by the Genesis device. Upon arriving at Earth, space dock, Dr. Leonard McCoy begins to act strangely and is detained. The commander of Starfleet, Admiral Moreau, visits the Enterprise and informs the crew the ship is to be decommissioned and the crew is instructed not to speak about Genesis due to the political fallout over the device. Dr. David Marcus, Kirk's son and a key scientist in Genesis development, and Lieutenant Savick are investigating the Genesis planet on board the science vessel Grissom. Discovering an unexpected life form on the surface, Marcus and Savick transport to the planet. They find that the Genesis device has resurrected Spock in the form of a child, although his mind is not present. Meanwhile, Kirk, the commander of a Klingon vessel, intercepts information about Genesis. Believing the device is a potential useful weapon, he takes his cloaked ship to the Genesis planet. Freeze. Repeat. And augment. Remember. McCoy. One alive, one not. Get both in pain. What must I do? You must bring them to Mount Silea on Vulcan. Only there can both find peace. What you ask is difficult. You will find a way, Kirk. If you honor them both, you must. I will. All right. Star Trek 3. Longtime listeners of our podcast no doubt recall me many times referencing how much I love this movie and that it's my favorite movie. As I said a couple weeks ago when we talked about The Wrath of Khan, I recognize that Wrath of Khan is probably the best Star Trek movie, demonstrably, arguably, but it's not my favorite. The Search for Spock is my favorite. Steve, you said something recently about how, in fact, I think it was a couple weeks ago, about how increasingly you've come to feel like Star Trek kind of is Spock and Spock's story and the character. Here we have a movie that is called The Search for Spock. I understand why some people don't like this movie. I understand that 
it's I mean it's certainly the cheapest looking film. It's unfortunate they shot everything on sets, even the Genesis planet. You know, the, briefly they they were considering going to Hawaii, but it was just going to be too expensive. And this movie definitely is the cheapest looking Star Trek film. And I think part of that too is it makes it feel smaller than any of the others, even smaller than Wrath of Khan, which I assume was cheaper. But if what you love about Star Trek is this family of characters, then I don't see how you can not love Star Trek III. I've heard people talk about how, well, it opens Kirk, he feels empty and talks about the open wound, and that's totally contradicting the end of the Wrath of Khan when he feels young and all that. I'm like, yeah, okay. I, I recognize that's a little bit of a movie contrivance to give him, give him this wound that he needs to heal during this movie. But it's all about Spock. I mean, if you like, if you love Spock, how can you not love the? I've heard, I've heard people say, "Well, Spock's not in it," and that I don't understand at all because he's, to me, he's more in this movie than anybody is in any movie. The entire movie is about him. Every scene is about him when he's in them or when he's not. I'm pretty sure, isn't it? The only film that has a character's name in the title, probably. I believe so. Yeah. The only main character. You know, I didn't have a problem with the opening. I, you know. People who might say, well, you know, the end of Khan, you know, where he's, you know, he seems happy. I mean, he just lost his lifelong best friend. And I, I actually like that this film kind of starts slow and it kind of delves into the grief that Kirk is going through. And um, honestly, the rest of the crew. And then, you know, you get into McCoy and what he's going through. And, you know, like the first, you know, like the good first 20 or 30 minutes is actually kind of slow. But I mean, it doesn't feel slow to me because they're all kind of dealing with the trauma that they just um, they just faced, you know, and then the Enterprise is being decommissioned and they're all being split up. So there's a lot of heaviness in the opening of this film that um, I think actually works pretty well coming out of con. Steve, you play your wife for this one for the first time? What she think? Yes, she, well, I, I think... She, no, so, yeah. you know, I should preface all of this with this movie... People have said negative things about this movie for decades. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be that you would say that thing about, oh, the odd-numbered movies are bad and the even-numbered movies are good. They don't say that anymore. <laughs> Thanks, right. JJ. But <laughs> this was part of that. This movie was part of that. I never got that, but the consensus for this film since the 80s has been that it is bad. All right, so <laughs> what did your your wife's thing, your first viewing say? Yeah, I, uh, I think her comment was something like, Hey, that one was pretty good, right? You know, like kind of wanting some kind of confirmation that that's the general consensus, you know. But I said, yeah, I think so. I really enjoy it. You know, I I think I think it's a um, I think it's entertaining, and I think it's it's uh, it's well paced, and I think all those kind of basic things that you know, I, I I think that she she found it compelling. She kept it kept her interest, and uh, and she you know she certainly hasn't seen like every episode of the original series or anything like that, but she's seen some, and she's seen a lot of later Trek and Next Gen and stuff like that too. So she knows the the idea, the general premise of everything, and she. I think she felt it was in the the spirit of things, and thought it was well paced and entertaining, and. Yeah, I, she enjoyed it. Sometimes movies can get this reputation, and then it's just hard to shake it. And I've never agreed with it. I never agreed with it. I've always loved this movie. I don't ever remember a time when I didn't. I watched the original series, and it has great production value for its day, but it looks a little cheap, uh, especially that third season. That doesn't immediately make it bad or something. I mean, I, I just... Right, right. Yeah. There are plenty of low-budget movies that are excellent. So much of what I love, especially about the original series, is this family of characters. And that's all this movie is. 
you can make the same argument, I think, about Star Trek Four, and that's probably it. Star Trek Three and Four are the only movies where they ever really, you know, cooked it down to just these these. And this one is more Star Trek for me. It's that core character, our core group of characters, and they're even on the Enterprise. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it definitely feels like a, a natural extension of their. Um camaraderie and their relationships from the original series and so on. I mean, up till now, there's been a variety of circumstances in play that make that, you know, it takes a while to get there, you know, for everyone to get in a position where they're in, or in that place or the situation, you know, whatever. It, it's, it's just um, not organic to bring out the relationships of everybody, but this just feels like a natural, we're, we're doing this thing. We're on this, we're on this mission and it's a, a mission about, uh, taking care of one of our own and um, that kind of thing. So it, it's, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's the best at that feeling like it's just a nat- naturally a, taken place after the relationship in the original series and so forth. Yeah. This, this feels like the first of the three movies where the other characters actually had, had something to kind of do, you know, and, and motion picture and even con to ex- an extent, you know, you know, um, Scotty and, and, uh, you know, horror and all, they were just kind of there. And this one, they actually had a purpose in, in, in the movie, you know, each one of them, you know, Scotty had to, you know, sabotage the Excelsior. Um, they all had a plan to kind of get together. Ahura, you know, all of them kind of came together for this mission to help try and save Spock. So, um, yeah, I totally agree with you, Brian. You know, there's, there's more of a family and a could you know, a feeling that they're they're all working together on this on this mission together, where it's not just the the main three, um, Spock, Kirk, and McCoy. And it's not all bad and cheap, as far as cheapness goes. I love Space Dock. I think Space Dock is awesome. Is that the first time you know we that Space Dock? Is that the first time we've seen it? We didn't. Yeah, it was it was for this movie. And you know, and that's been that went all the way through next gen, right? Next that, gen, yeah. I like the Klingon ship too. Yeah, that's I guess I take that for granted. That's a new th- newish thing too, huh? That bird of prey. Yeah, the bird of prey. Yeah. Yeah, right. Of course. Yeah, and they're going to reuse that forever and ever. <laughs> for sure. Um, but yeah, you were talking about you know this movie. You know, it's it's about and it is it's about Spock. It's an underlying movie about Spock. But in a weird way, you know, Kirk or you know Shatner kind of had to carry the carry this film, and I, I thought. Shatner was excellent in this film, starting off with the scene with um, um, Sarek and, you know, him having to relive the death of Spock in that, you know, that mind meld. Um, I thought Shatner did a great job. You felt, I felt exactly the same way in that scene as I did, you know, at the end of in a con. And I, you know, I think that's what they were trying to do. And it, and it leads them on this journey of like, um, I have to do that. You know, it's the old, you know, the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many, you know, the, the old Star Trek. Yeah, I, I love that sequence uh, where he melts with Sarek. Well, even before he melts with Sarek, or Sarek melts with him, when Sarek is explaining kind of the situation, and believe me when I tell you, he, he made no request of me, and you know, and then Sarek goes to leave, and Kirk immediately has complete faith in Spock, and he says, please wait, what if you join with someone else? That's their relationship, that's their friendship, that's his trust in him. If there was that much at stake, Spock would have found a way. And then, yeah, there's the sequence when they actually meld. And James Horner's music is fantastic there. I love it. It's my favorite bit of music in this movie. It's really good. It's reused a bit later in the Ponfar sequence. Yeah, the music throughout this whole film is great. You know, yeah. you think about the stealing the Enterprise. 
I was I was thinking about the, I, I didn't do it, but I thought about playing playing it without music because it's kind of, it's a chase scene, but it's a very slow mm-hmm. moving chase scene, and without that music, it doesn't work. It does not work that the stealing the Enterprise scene because Corner, you know, he he hit every note to keep keep the audience enthralled in that in that scene because i mean like i said it's really a slow chase scene you know they're kind of going back and forth the enterprise is kind of just slowly marching out of the space dock um and I, yeah it doesn't work without that without that music at all um you know james made that scene i feel like let's talk about that sequence because the stealing the enterprise sequence is my favorite sequence in the history of cinema <laughs> and i mean that it was incredibly influential on me. I've, I've told this story to many people here in L.A. over the years, but it's between that sequence in Star Trek Three and Kurosawa's The Seven Samurai, that film. Those two things are the reason that I, <laughs> that I went to college for film. Those two things are the reason I live in Los Angeles and, and work in the film industry and, and made it my life. The first time I ever saw Nimoy in the 90s, and I was gonna be—I knew I was gonna be getting his autograph, and this was before DVDs. And I think I had the, or maybe DVDs had just come out, but Paramount hadn't started releasing them, something like that. But anyway, I had the the laser disc of Star Trek Three, and I was gonna have Nimoy sign it, and I was I was nervous, and I just oh, I just wanted to tell him because he directed this movie. That's something else we should talk about here in a minute. He directed this movie, and so I just wanted to tell him, stealing the Enterprise. That whole sequence is the reason I'm in college right now for film uh, that's what i wanted to tell him and when i finally got up there i was so starstruck i was i couldn't get any words out of my mouth <laughs> i couldn't say anything and i barely squeaked out a thank you after he signed my my laser disc which i still have I still have that laser disc <laughs> which actually i have an entire shrine to star trek 3 but i have a lot of star trek 3 stuff um anyway uh so stealing the enterprise uh, i like it a lot the crew is working together is such a family it's just it hits every note so perfectly. I love there. There's a shot kind of near the beginning of uh, the saucer, the top of the saucer section, and you see like the lights on the bridge flip on. <laughs> God, I love it. I love every moment of it. I love it. I love it. The the word is no. I'm therefore going anyway. And then there's after that. There's a couple of there's, an, there's you know another cut back to um, uh, Genesis and stuff. But once Kirk rescues bones you know we're off to the races even just that 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 moment where they're on the turbo lift and oh i think kirk talks on on his communicator kobayashi maru set set sailing setting sail for the promised land and and bones says um you're taking me to the promised land and kirk says what are friends for and d kelly's smile i don't think before or after he ever hit uh, we ever got such a genuine smile out of D. Kelly. I mean, it, it's maybe it's a little more D. Kelly than than Bones, but I love it. It just it it it's so great. <laughs> uh, uh, and that's just the beginning of this sequence, and taking it all the way through to the excitement of of the Enterprise backing out slowly. It's backing out slowly with that, like you said, Adam. That incredible James Horner music is really. It's so exciting. It's so exciting. Uh, backing out. Going through the space doors, uh, James B. Sicking's character, uh, he says, Kirk, if you do this, you'll never sit in the captain's chair again. And we have that close-up on Kirk's face, and he doesn't 
Twitch, he doesn't bat an eye. He just says warp speed. It's perfect. I love that sequence. I could watch that sequence every day for the rest of my life. It's perfect. It's perfect. I love it. And even if I hated the rest of the movie, which I don't, I would love this movie just for that sequence. Because that's just some crazy, perfect blend of everything I love. and Star Trek family, technology, sci-fi, something like you were getting at, Steve, or just this sense that this entire sequence was really earned. The emotion that's here is because we know how these characters feel for each other and how they feel about their comrade Spock. They don't bat an eye when Kirk says, you know, Dr. McCoy and I have to do this, uh, but the rest of you and everyone's in. It's great. It's, it's the high point of the original series for me. Everything just comes together in that one incredible sequence. You know, and it, it's just great. It's just the main crew and the Enterprise. So it almost feels, you know, in this sequence, you, to me, I, I felt kind of closer to the Enterprise as a character in this movie more than any other. Because, you know, we'll get into, you know, the destruction of the Enterprise in a minute. But, I mean, the the battered ship, you know, it's basically on its last leg. You know, it's, it's 40 years old. They're going to decommission it, um, and um, this is its last go round. And it's just, it's just them and and the ship. It's um, it it, it it just feels right the whole way through. Well, he says twenty years old, but yes, I think they got that wrong. It was older than that. <laughs> I, saw, I saw that. I actually had to look it up because I'm like, well, didn't Pike captain it for like fifteen years or so before Kirk? So, but yeah, I think it's forty years old. They got that wrong. Well, I mean, it has a big refit, I guess, for motion picture, ca- but it's still the same bones. That. Yeah, I actually looked up. Sorry, it was um, it was commissioned in the. So I looked on the fandom thing. It was commissioned in twenty two forty five, and then it, you know it, it blew up in twenty two eighty five, is when it was destroyed. So that's hmm. the year of this movie. I don't, I don't know how accurate that is, but I was I thought the twenty years was a little bit weird, so I actually looked it up. Well, that that certainly makes more sense as to why you would decommission it. Twenty years doesn't sound very old. Old enough to decommission a ship of that size. Uh, you guys have thoughts on Robin Curtis? I think we discussed a little bit last time. I, I mentioned how Harv Bennett had said, Robin's great, but she doesn't have that star quality, that je ne sais quoi that Kirstie Alley had. I agree with that. It's hard for me to imagine the movie with Kirstie Alley. Was it money that, that kept her from being in the movie? Or I'm pretty it? sure. Uh, the, I've heard many different things, but the thing that I've heard the most consistently over the years was that she didn't want to do it. So she asked for more money than was reasonable. She asked for more money than D. Kelly was getting paid, huh. who had been doing the role for 15 years. I think I, I saw Robin Curtis at a convention one time, and she said she thinks the reason Kirstie Alley asked for so much money was just because she didn't want to do it. And that was the nice way of not doing it. I think one time I read somewhere that they didn't, the producers and stuff were wanted to change, but I, I don't think that's true. I'm pretty sure whether or not. She wanted to do it, and they just didn't want to pay her what she wanted, uh, or she didn't want to do it, and so so she asked for an unreasonable sum of money. I'm not sure which of those is true, but it would have been a fairly different movie with Kirstie Alley because her role really is. It's not exactly that it's expanded; it's just that there's there's less players here, so it feels like it's a lot more expanded. It feels like she has more to do and more lines, but maybe that's just because there's fewer people. But I mean, I don't dislike Robin Curtis. I think I think she's, I think she gets the job done. She's a better Vulcan, 
I guess is what I've what I've heard all throughout the years that you know Christy was a too kind of you know emotional. I guess that that's that's kind of the difference. People like um, you know what, what's the actress liked her? She played a Vulcan better than Christy did, but uh, you know that's in the early '80s, and you know the only person that had really played a Vulcan up to that point was um, Spock and um, Sarek. Um, so it's, it's kind of hard. I, I kind of find that criticism hard because the character wasn't as fully, you know, the the mystique around the Vulcans and how to play them that wasn't fully developed at that time, you know, as it is right now. But I certainly agree with what Bennett was saying. You know, she doesn't have that star quality. Right. You could see her playing this in a in a TV episode more than sure. sustaining a feature film. And you know, maybe that's one of the other little things that make people subconsciously, you know, next to seeing cheap sets and stuff that make people not as enamored with this film as I am. Well, Chris, she wasn't on Cheers at this point, right? She was later on the day. Wrath of Khan was, was Kirstie Alley's first thing. And I, when I remember her in summer school and then Cheers, I don't, you know, and then she had her own television series in, in the 90s. And she kind of just dropped off. She was never really a movie star. She was more or less a TV star. We get uh, fisticuffs between Commander Krug and Captain Kirk, something they wanted to do in Wrath of Khan, but they never were on uh, in the same place together, so they weren't able to do it, so they make up for it here. And uh, let's talk about Christopher Lloyd as Commander Krug for a moment. I think that he's solid. And unlike some other villains, some other heavies in Star Trek films where it feels like they're really kind of just con wannabes i don't feel that way about him i feel like he has legit motivations i feel like he has different motivations and i think that he's solid is he as memorable memorable a villain as as con of course not and maybe it's just because i like this movie so much but i think that he's i think that he's solid he has that great moment where i trust my instincts you know uh must have dealt them a more serious blow than i thought that's kind of given the villain an advantage that they normally, I think, writing-wise, you would normally give to your hero. So it's cool to see the villain like portrayed with, like he, like he's he's a formidable opponent. He feels Klingon. He he's a Klingon. Yeah, he, that's a great he's, point. He's one hundred percent Klingon, and you, and you know, when you look at it from the, his point of view, you know, and what they're, you know, we'll get into this later on what this movie's about. You know, he is acting in his race's best interest because, you know, you have the Federation developing, you know, it's, it's can be a weapon. It's, you know, it can, yes, it can create um, new worlds from nothing, but it can also destroy worlds and recreate that. So from a Klingon perspective, this is, um, this is a, this is something very threatening to them. So you can understand that. And he, he, he plays that a hundred percent. So, um, to the to the key, he feels very Klingon. Steve, what do you think in, in terms of uh, this is the first time we've really we saw the Klingons very briefly in the motion picture. I'm not sure it, it did a lot for them other than change their look. But what do you think about uh, what this film does for Klingons and Christopher Lloyd specifically? Yeah, I mean, it probably hasn't been talked about enough how influential this is because his performance, along with the others, but, you know, obviously he was most featured in his behaviors and the uh, the aggression and the, uh, you know, de- determination and that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, in a way, it, it's, it's a template going forward. I mean, you know, it's certainly for next gen era and, and that time span of, of Klingons. Because, yeah, as you pointed out, and, you know, we all know in the original series how Klingons were. They essentially were, um, you know, uh, 
humans with makeup on them with a little bit of an attitude or something. And then we see them briefly in the motion picture, but here, you know, it's, it's the, it's the adversary. They're the opponent and they are, you know, where he is on the planet and he opts to, you know, with his hands, just, you know, take care of that worm thing and all that stuff and all, all that kind of thing that I think that's, um, that that really set a template for what Klingons were in a way going forward. Obviously it was, it was, you know, expanded upon over time, but um, that kind of kicked it off. Another thing I've seen people bring up when they talk about how much they don't like this movie is, uh, is the Moss Eisley ripoff when, um, <laughs> when Bones goes to the, the bar to try to hide, hire a, a ship. I get that. It is an unabashed Moss Eisley ripoff and it is, cheap and crappy compared to that i mean <laughs> i think it's a, <laughs> a redress of the enterprise but i still think it's funny i think d kelly is funny i think it's how can you be deaf with ears like that i mean it's still funny you know i can't uh, yeah it looks cheap but it still works that whole sequence still works when he tries to do the vulcan neck pinch on the security guy that's funny it's hilarious it's still funny to me i agree i agree and the guy the 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 guy he's trying to hire is it's, it's he's amusing to me <laughs> i hear him new <laughs> well I mean, that's a great line that d said you know with ears like that you know <laughs> you know it is i agree with you brian it's a it's a yeah it's it's unfortunate in 84 when this film came out the trailers gave away the destruction of the enterprise which i i don't know certainly from a creative standpoint that was a monumental incredible and obvious error and why on earth would they do that but i guess i understand it from a marketing standpoint they wanted people to be thinking of Khan and they wanted to show action and all that kind of stuff and this but i I guess i'm bringing it up because i don't really have any concept of what it would have been like to see this movie and not know that the enterprise is going to be destroyed what what are you saying in in the trailer or you you have a problem with the ship being destroyed in the movie or just it being teased out I think it's very effective because, as Sarek says near the end, you know, at, at what cost? Your ship, your son. It's the line of the movie. We're bringing Spock back from the dead, and Kirk is giving up his career, and that's he's choosing to do that, and he's also going to lose his ship and his son. I think when people say bringing Spock back makes the end of Star Trek II less valid there's certainly validity to that argument but we still do have consequences there is a cost the ship is destroyed and david is killed and kirk's in some ways kirk's never gonna recover from that and obviously at the end of the film we don't know you know they're they're done in starfleet you know they're Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a great line that Kirk said. You know, whatever fleet we um, end up serving, we end up serving. <laughs> but, but I, I do think the Enterprise destruction sequence is is very effective and very, very well done. By the way, I think some of the music in there is the same music that Horner does when Spock dies at the end of Wrath of Khan when when Kirk is like running down to get down there. It's the same music as for when 
the Enterprise destroyed. The ILM really outdid themselves. It still it still looks incredible the way that, the way there's that close up of the Enterprise text on the saucer section as it sort of melts into pieces and stuff. It's still fantastic and punctuated with the with the saucer section just exploding in the wider shot. James Horner's excellent music. Those timpanis are rolling as we see it kind of streaking through the the sky. Uh, I still think it's it entire, completely holds up. And the scene is quintessential Kirk. I mean. It's it was the only it was the only choice he had, but at the same time it was a huge gamble, and that's Kirk. It's like we have no way out of this other than destroying the ship. I, he's like yeah, the Klingons can't have the ship because of you know all the information that's on it, and we wouldn't survive. So this you know he's like if I can get all their crew on all the Klingons on the Enterprise and blow it up, it makes things even. So um in and it was the ship saving them for the last time. You know, and what I mentioned before, you know, in this mm-hmm. film, the Enterprise is battered and bru- it's at the end of its days, you know, literally, you know, they're decommissioning it. It's it's beat to hell from the Wrath of Khan. Um, and this was, you know, it's kind of like the best way it could have gone out, Blaze of Glory. Now, even better than the Blaze of Glory, because it went out saving all of them. And it was a sacrifice to save all of them. You know, the, the closest I could think of in terms of, you know, you, you mentioned not, how do you how would it feel to not know it's going to, you know, well, again, I watched it with my wife and she didn't know anything about this stuff. And I mean, and she does have a little bit of history. She knows the history of Trek. She's seen some original series. She's watched all the recent stuff, well, you know, so there is the weight of the fact that they blew up the Enterprise here. But it, she, it, it didn't it didn't she she made like no comment on that at all. I mean, she. Um, as it, as it went, you know, when, when, uh, David was killed, she, she said something like, did they really kill him? You know, but there was no commentary or, or question of, oh my gosh, they just blew up the enterprise or something like that. You know? So I, I think in a way it's like, it's, it's strange how much history that ship has, but yet, and I think this is a testament to how much they keep the focus on the relationships and this notion that people matter, you know, we're here to, you know, we're here to bring back Spock. We're here for our, our friends and our family and all this kind of stuff. They keep the tone so much on that, that uh, it just becomes a, like a, a necessary evil that, oh, you know, they blew up the ship, but you know, you, it's, 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 it's important, but it doesn't have, you know, I think it keeps the, the emphasis on the fact that people are what matter, you know, and, and uh, I think, I think that's a good thing for the, for the movie. That little scene there, you know, where they're all standing on the cliff watching the, the, the ship burn in the atmosphere. And that's a great line, you know, um, you know, Bones, you know, what, what have I done? Yeah, yeah. You, you, you did what you had to do, you know, what you've always had to do. You know, it's a, and it was, it was just a little thing and it, it didn't, it didn't dwell on it too long. It just gave you just enough to kind of mourn the ship and then move on to the next thing. I don't think I've complained about this yet today. And as I said, I'm going to do it every single time. So uh, Paramount, please give us a new transfer. I love this movie so much. I love it so much. And on my big screen, it looks like poo-poo. It looks bad. The best there is is the Blu-ray. And the Blu-ray looks bad because it's an ancient freaking DNR'd all to hell uh, transfer. Every time there's a close-up, people look like literal wax figures because there's no detail in anything. Because this came from an HD transfer that was done in the early 2000s, back when they washed out all the grain and lost all the detail. But it didn't matter because people were playing it on their little 30-inch TVs or whatever. 
but now that looks terrible. Please, 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 please give us a new transfer. I would love for you to go back to the negative and give me a high quality 4K scan. Oh, I would pay you right now for that. Please. It wouldn't cost you that much money. We're not talking about DS9 and Voyager where you got to spend a lot of money. I understand. Here, you've got a finished film print ready to go. Did they do any? I, mean, I know you probably said this before, Brian, but have they redone any of them? Did they? Only Star Trek 2. Star Trek 1 and Star Trek 3 through 10 all look terrible. Not just a little bad. They look so bad that if they were anything besides Star Trek, I wouldn't watch them. They look awful. Incidentally, and maybe this is too off topic, but I read something in the past week about some work being done on a new transfer of the motion picture or something, or something being done with that. Maybe I'm mistaken, Um, but it kind of raised hopes for maybe some work being done. They've created a new sound mix for it. There's already a 4K transfer. I don't know what the intent, what they're intending to do with it, but that's the that's the word or whatever. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful, but we just had the 40th anniversary of the motion picture, and that's usually something like that is when they find an excuse to give us something for a library product, but there's nothing like that anytime soon again, so um, I don't know. I just... I know I'm I'm going to start to sound like a broken record, but I just, I hate that like every other studio seems to do a decent job with their precious IP, except for, except for Paramount and the Star Trek movies. Ugh. And that's the thing. Again, it would, it's, it, it would, I under, I want DS9 and Voyager to get high def transfers, but I understand why they're not happening. That would be very expensive because they'd have to completely reconstruct all that stuff. I get it. But to give me a, a 4K scan of the of Search for Spock would not be expensive. I, I don't understand why they're not doing it because they would make that money back so quickly. Easily. Yeah. This doesn't cost this is this would not cost them a million dollars, you know. They'd probably make a million back with everybody replaying it. But it wouldn't cost that much. But anyway. No, no. Yeah, but they'd easily make a million back on everybody rebuying it. Uh let's talk about that the kind of the end sequence. I think when I was younger, maybe the swapping of the Katra montage and stuff, like I think I wanted it just to get be done sooner, but I don't feel that way anymore. It seems like the right length to me now. I like James Horner's music there. Dame Judith Anderson, she's a teeny bit stiff, but she's got gravitas. I think she's pretty I think she's pretty good. I just rewatched um Ten Commandments a couple months ago and she's really good. <laughs> she's really good in that. And I was like, oh, it's uh... <laughs> When you were talking about the look of the film, the one one of the things that I remember most about this film is Vulcan. I really love the aerial shots and you know the mountains and, and all that. The, that beautiful map painting when the uh, when the bird of prey lands, yeah. I, I yeah, that was very um, it's, that was very much seared into my head. Just um, the look of Vulcan and um, other than the motion picture, I mean, we haven't really you know we could we haven't really got. I feel like in this movie we really kind of got to see Vulcan. I mean, they showed a little bit of it in the motion picture, and obviously, you get some scenes in the original series, but that's just... You know, in the originals, the um, the HD new effects versions of the original series, on Amok Time, I, I always thought it looked like they were using Star Trek Three for reference. And yeah, I, I like the way this, this movie uh, defines defines Vulcan, I agree, even more than, even more than motion picture. Yeah, and even going forward, I think that's you, you get that look and the feel of Vulcan a lot from this movie. And then we get the uh, Jim. Your name is Jim. 
if you've watched this movie a billion times, like I have, you'll wonder things like um, things you would never, ever, ever, ever think unless you've watched a billion times. Like, well, he's he's quoting stuff like "ship out of danger," and that happens after he transferred his contract to McCoy. So would he know that? But you know, it must be that while his Katra was in McCoy, it, it he got to know all of the some of the stuff that McCoy knew, and then that came back with the Katra. So does that mean that maybe Spock now knows McCoy differently? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> mm. Uh, see, I, I joke a little bit here, but that's another thing I like. I like about this movie; it actually has like a reasonable level of logic. Like I kind of buy it the way they bring back Spock in a way that, unlike say uh, Into Darkness, which breaks Star Trek and said, "Look, look how easy this is. We got this guy's blood, and we can just fix anything." Here, it doesn't seem like they're bringing back anybody else after Spock, right? Yeah. Because you had this very special situation where you had, he gives his Katra to McCoy, McCoy is storing it, there were these gravitational fields that were in flux, so they make his tube soft land, and then it's this very specific Genesis wave that Spock's body is on just the right amount of time to like regenerate his body into life and make it grow to the point where he looks kind of like he did when he died, and then that's when we get him off the planet. There's actually some logic to it. It makes sense in itself, and I, I don't have any negative things to say about that <laughs> well i mean and you, when, when we get into star trek 4 i mean you know the beginning of star trek 4 where you see the cognitive it's not all there he's not all there when we yeah get star trek 4 so i mean you know at the end of this movie it, it almost makes it feel like oh yes box back and he's you know he remembers jim and he's gonna be okay when we when we talk about four we can we can talk about like you know the you know the long road back that spock had to go through to be himself again yeah, you mentioned it before, Brian, but I think that was kind of my favorite line in the whole in the whole movie. You know, when um, Sarah came up to to um, Kirk, and that line he says, "You know, if I didn't try, it would have been my soul." And and I felt that from Kirk, you know, and it felt genuine. I mean, because he lost a lot in this this movie. It's, and this this is a strange movie because it's kind of it's really is kind of dark, and a lot of bad things happen. But by the end of the movie, you feel good because. Yeah, because Spock's back. But I mean, if you think about it, a lot of bad things happen to to Kirk and and the rest of the crew throughout the film. David's death really is a big deal, right? And talk about Shatner's performance. I think it's great when he kind of collapses and misses the chair. You know, I feel for him. He had this son, his one chance to continue his family line, whatever. It's like a Picard thing. And just as he gets to, starts to get to know him for the first time and just as David enters his life he's murdered in a just an entirely senseless pointless way even Star Trek 6 you know I, I have never never trusted Klingons I never will I can never forgive them for the death of my boy yeah and, and Shatner's really good Shatner's good you know if he wasn't so good here it wouldn't work what is this movie about there's a lot of facets to this movie. I'll start off with the kind of the generalized thing, you know, what they're, you know, like the, the plot, you know, what kind of pushes the movie forward, you know, the Genesis, the creation of Genesis, Genesis, <laughs> going back to the far scene, um, you know, and, you know, if you've read, if you've read about this movie, you know, Khan or this movie, you know, there's parallels between the Soviet Union and the United States and nuclear, nuclear weapons. And so that's kind of what the, you know, the, the broad, thing that they were talking about with this movie is like um 
you you can't create something that's this powerful without having consequences and you see the consequences of that in con and the, and more so in this movie you know um 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 Kirk's son dies because of the mistakes that he made in in creating this Genesis project um the ship is destroyed um, Spock is 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 killed and brought back to life so there were a lot of a lot of bad things happened because of um, the choices that were made to create Genesis. And I think they're kind of, you know, the mutual self-destruction, the Klingons wanted the weapon and because the Federation had it. And there are the parallels with the United States and the um, USSR back in the 80s when that was still going on. Um, and then you kind of get into the, to the meat of the story where, it's, where it is. It's about family. It's about sacrifice. It's about doing you know, doing what's right for those that you care about, you know, Kurt gave up everything, you know, obviously, you know, we'll watch more films and he gets most of it back, but, you know, by the end of this film, he'd given up, he'd sacrificed everything. And the other characters too, you know, Bones, um, they, they all did. They gave up their careers and their lives to, to just not just, just bring back, but just for a, a shot at bringing him back. And, um, that just goes back to the connection, that these characters have had throughout the years and you know this act you know that's kind of that's kind of the message they're, they're trying to display is like you do everything you can for family even if it if it brings harm to yourself steve yeah i i think i think uh there there's a lot here but yeah that to me the focus is the uh to the whole back to the whole um the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. It's kind of like turning it all on its head because of the, again, yeah, the sacrifices you make to, uh, to help and save someone who's the the close people in your life, your family, your friends and so forth. And, and it does a good job because as we've mentioned several times here, uh, there were, there were tremendous consequences for going through all of this that they did. They recovered their, a member of their family, but they lost, a lot too, and 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 uh, we see that, and and that's part of the choice as well. So I mean, it's kind of a, a it's kind of speaks to the life cycle and the consequences of tampering with nature and whatnot. And it's in, in a way, it's kind of the, yeah, you can cheat death, you can you can you can do these things, but there's going to be a cost. And uh, at the same time, it's not a, it's not a cold message because you know we we save one of the most beloved characters here right and uh and uh and and he's back and what they go through to do it and it's it's very heartfelt and and the those those ties the relationship the crew has with each other it's 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 front and center and so um for me that's 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 the story all right let's do six degrees for search for spock uh adam yes Phil Morris plays Cadet Foster, the cadet that wants to party hardy when the Enterprise gets home. I asked about him for his Voyager episode, and we talked about him on Voyager, so now we're just going to do the same question the other direction. He played NASA's Lieutenant John Kelly in Voyager's sixth season. Name that episode. You would ask me an episode. It's kind of a NASA kind of thing. Oh, I know the episode. I'm trying to think of the damn name. Uh, Three words. I don't remember. Sorry, go for it, Steve. Is that one uh, one small step? Yes, sir, one small step. (laughs) Steve, how many people are credited with playing Spock in this film? Oh, yeah, I noticed that. Um, Gosh. 
guys five <laughs> and tell me all their names <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yes you got it it's all five right. that's right awesome. ages 9 13 17 25 and whatever age nimoy is cool yeah all right god i love this movie i'll be watching it as long as i am a living human that's able to watch movies i was i was expecting you to ask a john larica question i thought about him <laughs> You said you would kill me. I lied. Did everybody watch the Lower Decks trailer that came out this week? Yeah. Um, I haven't seen it yet. Check it out. I'll check it out after we get off. I think we tweeted about it, so you should... <laughs> You've got an easy link there, buddy. Um, I haven't been on Twitter all week, so... It looks fun. It looks exactly like I expected it yeah. to look. I don't know that I'm going to re-up CBS All Access for it. Um, I'm, I don't know. We haven't heard when discovery season three is going to be, I'm assuming it's still going to be this fall. So I don't know. I might wait a month or two. We'll see. Let it make its run. Is that why you can just binge it? What part of me says it's okay to, for there to be Star Trek in the world. And I haven't seen it. (laughs) (laughs) Is is it that I'm thinking it it doesn't not feel as canony because it's animated, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I'm going to watch it. I'm just saying, I'm not sure it's going to get me to re up for CBS all access earlier than Discovery Season 3 would. I don't know. Hey, it's a Star Trek show. Yeah. I guess that's kind of all we got. So that was fun. I sure do love that movie. We are going to be back in a couple weeks to start talk about uh, Star Trek 4, The Voyage Home. Thank you guys for spending, and gals, for spending an hour with us. And uh, let's see. You can... Follow our Facebook page is facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Our Twitter handle is at trekcompanion. And you can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. 250 episodes in the bank, including Star Trek Three. Pretty good movie. I think you'll like it. Catch you in two weeks. Till next time. Take it easy. Bye, guys. See you. I passed it.